good morning, everyone. My heart is absolutely thumping because God is speaking. And he is speaking rather clearly and directly this morning, I would say. And um, the wonderful thing about our God is he's a speaking God. He's not silent, he's not deaf, he's not distant, but he comes and speaks in various ways. And he uses people. He shared this morning, he uses the scriptures, which I'll dive into in just a minute, to speak to us. He uses song and wonderful ways to communicate, to be with us. And so the question is, are we listening? Are we truly listening and willing to hear what he would say? Because if we will, I bet it will change your life. I bet it will be for your good and for his glory if we will be willing to listen. So this morning I'm going to be continuing our series in 1 Peter. Uh, the title of the series is Hopeful Exiles. I won't dive into that theme that much this morning, but uh, it kind of carries through the whole book of 1 Peter. And if you've missed the previous few installments, I'm in part 4 this morning, sorry, part 5. You might want to go and catch the others on our website or wherever you get podcasts. You'll be able to find them uh, at the One Hope channel. Really helpful to get context of the series, and it has been a wonderful series so far. So I really trust that as we get into the Word this morning, God would continue to speak as He has been and do work uh, in our lives. I'm going to pray for myself for a minute, if you don't mind. Thank you, Father, that you're good, that you're with us, and that your Word is alive. Uh, as I preach, Father, would you speak to me, speak to us, uh, and let us be changed and shaped and molded and transformed by you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we were a family growing up, uh, we used to go and visit a town just up the coast here. Some of you may know it's called Hermanus. Anyone been to Hermanus? Okay, so you know it well. Wonderful. So this illustration will hopefully work. And I've been going there since I was very young, very privileged to do that. And there's a beach in Hermanus called Kamabai. It's quite small, uh, but we have always gone there as a family. And growing up, there might be a picture there. Is, oh, you can't see it so clearly. But anyway, growing up, right in the middle of the beach, there's this little stream that kind of flows from the mountain far away down through the beach and then into the sea. And we used to have hours and hours of fun as kids, I'm sure to my parents' delight, um, building dams in this little stream. So it flowed quite slowly and if you were smart you could get the sand together and so on and kind of make a structure and the, the game was always who could make the biggest dam. So the trick was get there early and get the highest dam because then you steal the water and then you win. <laughs> No. Uh, anyway, so that was a lot of fun, and we still continue that tradition today with our kids. That's little Sammy, when you're the smaller, you can see we're building a little wall there, not very successfully at this point, uh, but we're getting there. And uh, we, we did this like absolutely religiously, so many, many times over the, over the holiday, and kind of learned the skill, if I can put it that way, the art of building a damn wall on Kamabai Beach with that little stream. And if you ever get to come by beach and build uh, sandcastles, you're allowed to. It's for big kids and small kids, so don't feel embarrassed if you enjoy that sort of thing. As you can see, I'm still doing it over there. Uh, the trick there is you've got to have stones in your wall. So you can see we've got a few there. And if you try and just build it out of the sand, it really doesn't last very long. But if you've got stones, it really lasts a lot longer. And even the best trick, don't tell anyone I told you this, is that you get as big a stone as you can find. Typically about this size, you kind of source them from around the other parts of the beach. You've got to carry them all the way down, put it in. But if you can get that big stone laid first, you've got a very good chance of you know, building a really nice strong wall, attaching all the rest of your sand, cement, and stones together and winning the competition of who can build the biggest dam. 
So that's a little free giveaway trick for you if you ever do go to this beach and you're ever building a damn wall. And uh, it was a lot of fun, but it does relate to what I want to share this morning. If you just think that was a random story, uh, it was also just a fun story to share. Um, but uh, building a damn wall is not dissimilar to some of the imagery we will see in the scripture this morning, which uh, Peter penned for us. So Peter was a man who walked with Jesus when he was here on earth. He was friends with Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus walked in the room here, gave him a hug. He's like, oh, you're my mate. You're my black. That was Peter's life in real, in the reels. He walked alongside him and um, he knew him well. And there's a whole bunch of accounts of Peter's life in the scripture outside of this letter that he wrote. So he wrote this letter and we get to read it all these years later. Isn't that amazing? Imagine a letter you write today. People are still reading 2,000 years later. Probably unlikely to be the case, so this is quite a significant letter, right? And obviously God used Peter for his purposes, and uh, we'll be in this uh, letter today, 1 Peter, is what we call it in our Bibles. Bible's actually a collection of books, by the way, not one book, but more like a library, um, so good to know that as we think about it. Um, but he writes this book to people from various cultures. So even in the room today, we're relatively monoculture, but there's definitely going to be various cultures and backgrounds represented in the room today. So Peter could be writing to us as well, and he does, uh, by the Holy Spirit in, in a certain way. But originally he was writing to a group of people somewhere in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and they were a people who had faith in Jesus, quite a new faith, they hadn't followed him for long, and they were under persecution and trial and uh, they were being challenged for their faith. It's not dissimilar to how we are today. So they weren't being burnt at the stake, fortunately, but they, it wasn't pleasant or necessarily easy to live out your faith as a Christ follower in that time. And so Peter writes into that um, context and he uses a building metaphor, uh, which we will touch on a bit longer. And the title of my sermon today is, as you saw, Cornerstone or Stumbling Stone. So what a wonderful song that we ended on to lead us into our sermon today. Jack's going to read the scripture for us. Jack, do you want to come up and read for us? I don't know where you are. Yeah. By the way, welcome to Jack's family. Awesome to have you guys visiting. And Brooke from the UK, it's wonderful to have you. Testing. <laughs> Good morning, church. I'm going to read. <laughs> I'm going to read from First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. And I'm going to read from the ESV translation. Would you guys mind standing up just out of reverence and awe for the word of the Lord? Right. From verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jack. 
just five verses we're going to be unpacking today. Uh, and absolutely fundamental to getting a view of these is understanding what a cornerstone is. Anyone know what a cornerstone is? If you've been around uh, church for a while, you've heard the word a lot, but you, you know what it is. Okay, well, we're going to discover today. Any architects in the room? Nathan was here. He's letting him down. Should know what a... Anyone know what a cornerstone is? Don't you just shout out some idea. Great, yeah, so the stone that goes in the corner, right? So it holds all the way, so it's special. Good point. Shocking, right? Uh, which is helpful to see an artist's depiction of a cornerstone. And the big idea with a cornerstone is it actually... ...an orientation of the rest of the stones. So however the cornerstone is laid, the rest of the building follows from that. And it is strong enough and supporting for the rest of the building. So that's really important to know. You'll see in our scripture today, we'll be uh, looking at a cornerstone, but then also, as my title alludes to, this cornerstone can also be potentially a stumbling stone, or a stone or a rock that causes offense. It can be two of those things. And so this is obviously metaphorical language. And so we need to get our minds into the idea of imagery that Peter, the author, is trying to use to help us understand an idea or a concept about Jesus. And so throughout uh, scripture, there's a whole lots of metaphors and imagery about Jesus because every metaphor picture breaks down at some point when it's trying to describe the awesomeness and majesty and wonder of who God is and what he's done. And so we realize there are some limitations to this imagery, but it is still helpful to us in trying to grasp a little bit more about Jesus. And so we're going to start in verse 4. And these first three verses that we're looking at, verse 4, 5, and 6, are specifically addressed to those who are already Christ followers. If you're not a Christ follower in the room this morning, it's wonderful to have you. It really, really is, and I really believe God has got you here for a reason. It's not a coincidence that you're here. These three verses don't necessarily speak directly to you, although I think you might find them interesting, so listen up. But specifically, the next two verses we'll look at, those speak straight to you. So God's got a message for you this morning as you've joined us. So verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So that starts out with an assumption. As you come to him, not if you come to him, should you come to him, but rather as you come to him. So Christ follower, as you come to Jesus, as you thirst and long for him, as you desire him, as you're hungry for him, as you come to him, and that's not just referring to a moment of conversion or becoming a Christian, but a daily coming to Jesus. And that sets up these three verses. As we come to him, and the one we're coming to is the one who was rejected. And that refers to an historical moment, the gospel, where Jesus was rejected by men. He was killed, he was murdered for who he was, died on the cross and then rose again back to life. And that's why it says, as you come to him, a living stone. Stones aren't typically living. If you think of this building, a whole lot of bricks in the walls here. We don't really consider them living, otherwise we'd be a problem. The building would fall down, right? Because they'd be moving all over the show. Typically stones are, or rocks or bricks are dead. But he is the living stone, referencing the fact that God, or Jesus, is alive. He's active. He died, but he rose again, 
and he rose up to be seated at the right hand of the Father, where he's alive and active. He's not just sitting in the clouds looking at us being like, good luck, chaps. He's actually involved and active in our lives if we will welcome him, and we'll see that a bit later in the scripture. And then there's this beautiful line here that Jesus was chosen by God and precious in his sight. Precious in his sight. Peter's alluding to a scripture, which he'll quote in just a minute. But let me just say this about this verse. If Jesus was rejected by men and persecuted, and you're a follower of Jesus, there's some logic there, right? There's a good chance that in your life, there is probably persecution somewhere along the way. There's likely rejection by men somewhere along the way. If we're becoming more and more like Jesus as we follow him, but don't worry because he walked through the very same thing and he is close to those who follow him. And so he journeys with us through trials, suffering, pain, rejection, and persecution. And so a wonderful application that we can draw straight from this this morning. On to verse 5. So as you come to him, the living stone who was rejected uh, by men, but in the sight of God chosen. Verse 5 says, You yourselves, that's now talking directly to us as Christ followers, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So when we come to Jesus, the living stone, or also the cornerstone referenced in these scriptures, We are built up on him into a spiritual house. Now, why a spiritual house? So again, referencing Old Testament scripture, which talked about a temple. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that the, um, the temple was the place where God met with his people in the Old Testament. That's before Jesus, for those who aren't too familiar with the Bible. He met with them in the temple. And actually, this word spiritual house can also be translated temple. So we are being built up. On Jesus, cornerstone, all the little stones, where those guys all connected to one another, living stones, being built up for a place in which God can dwell, a spiritual house, house in which he can dwell by his spirit. And so that's a metaphor, but even as we gather here this morning, God is pleased to come and dwell here because we are built as Christ followers on the living stone, as living stones, so that we can enjoy the presence of God and dwell, live, be with him every day and even as we gather here and so he speaks when he's in the room and if we'll listen we can hear him and he's been doing that this morning because he by his spirit is present and alive here the implication here is that we are like living stones being built upon the living stone and the crazy thing and where metaphors always break down is Christ the cornerstone but he's also the builder <laughs> yeah Figure that one out. There's a whole bunch of mixed metaphors here, so if you're a little bit confused, it's all right. Um, yeah, just take a moment maybe to read it afterwards and, and let it settle. And uh, just to also another side note here, as I was prepping, I was just thinking there's a lot of mixed metaphors and references to Old Testament and so on in, in the Bible uh, or in the New Testament. And if it's difficult to understand, that's okay. But I just want to say there's really great resources to help you understand these things mentally so that we can start really experiencing what the Spirit might want to stay uh, through these scriptures. The ESV Study Bible, as an example, punting the ESV Study Bible, really, really helpful. If you don't have one, go get one. Go get one, it really helps to get these things so that we can get the fullness out of the scriptures. Okay, that was a sidebar. I don't know. 
Christ is the builder. Okay, all the mixed metaphors. Living stone. We are like living stones being built upon him. Um, but we're not just a passive building. If you think of this building, it just stands here, right? Not very alive and active. We're not just a building built upon Christ, but he then goes on to say we're also a holy priesthood. In the Old Testament, what the priests did is they came and interceded. They came and offered sacrifices to God to appease for the people. So they connected with God on behalf of the people. And so we all, as Christ followers, are called priests. He's saying, you have access to connect with me to offer sacrifices, the sacrifices of our lives to him. And so it's not just this dead building, but it's alive with presence and activity of priests. That's us offering spiritual sacrifices to God acceptable through Christ Jesus. So what are these spiritual sacrifices that God, uh, that the scripture's uh, calling us to bring? That's a good question. Again, a lot of uh, picture language here, which is helpful, but let's get a little bit practical. What does a spiritual sacrifice look like? What does it look like for a Christ follower to bring spiritual sacrifices every single day through Christ Jesus that are pleasing to God? And here we're going to have to reach outside of this text to a few other scriptures, and I'm not going to read them all, but I'll reference them. In Romans 12, verse 1, Paul tells us that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. So what does that mean every day? How do you bring your body? He's talking about your physical body. When you eat, are you doing it in a spiritual way, filled with the Holy Spirit? When you work at work, are you doing it in a spiritual way that is pleasing to God? When you go for a run, are you doing it in a spiritual way that is pleasing to God? What does it mean to be spiritual? It means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, living in obedience to the Holy Spirit. I think you're getting it, right? When you drive our car, when we do whatever we do in our daily lives, physically with our bodies, is it done in a way that is intentionally filled with the Spirit? When I parent, is it done in a way that is intentionally filled with with the Spirit. Just last night, our little Felicity was having a huge meltdown just before she went to bed. Hoying her toys. She had a cot well beyond the cot, probably into the neighbor's house sort of situation. And uh, in those moments, fortunately, God reminded me of my weakness and how do you even, what do you even do when you've tried all the tricks that you have? Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it is a bit, it is funny, but also a bit painful in the moment. Um, <laughs> But am I doing that, loving my daughter and helping her through this moment of emotional chaos in a spiritual way? And so last night, I was just, I was just left to pray. I was like, Holy Spirit, please, would you come and intervene and, and lead us and help us to just love on this little girl and help her get to bed? Uh, any parents in the room maybe saying amen to that? And uh, so that was like a really tangible way. When I was reading the scripture, I was like, oh, that's how you do things as spiritual sacrifice. Do it with the Spirit of God, let Him fill Him with your peace, your wisdom, guidance, and love uh, for a little three-year-old throwing a tantrum. Um, then other spiritual sacrifices, we see Hebrews 13, praise and thanks. It says, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. So is our singing, is our praise, is our adoration of God filled with the Holy Spirit? And so even what you're doing here this morning, great question to ask, is this just lovely singing? Is it just... Oh, it sounds so nice to sing together. Or, but are we doing this in a way that is filled by, empowered by, invites in the Holy Spirit of God to come and do what only He can do 
when we do this together. We can sing in our shower, we can sing in the car, we can sing anywhere we want, right? But there's a difference between worship and singing. One is spiritual sacrifice, the other one is just fun. Okay, acts of love is another way we can bring spiritual sacrifices. Philippians 4, uh, verse 18. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul says this, he receives a gift from the Philippian church, and he says, I've received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so that's money and provisions. And so we, in the way that we give, in the way that we share, in the way that we're kind with our words and our attitudes and our opinions to others is a spiritual act of worship to God if it is done by the power of His Spirit. Okay, that's a few examples that I wanted to give. These are very practical, tangible things. And so as you go about your day, uh, tomorrow or in this week to come, each thing that you do can either be done, just done, or it can be done in a way, however trivial and small, in a way that is pleasing to God, that is a spiritual sacrifice to Him, a sweet aroma to Him that delights Him and is delightful to us. This scripture talks about a house, a spiritual house being built upon the Lord. And I really felt a challenge this, uh, as I was preparing this morning, uh, this week and this morning, um, that are you connected to this house? So the question I'm asking is, if you're a Christ follower, have you chosen, like metaphorically, to remove yourself as a stone from the wall outside of Christian community? If you have, I think the scripture might say that's really not a good idea. There's a purpose that God's put us all together. It's to be unified. It's to be strengthened. We're interdependent on one another. We help and serve and bless one another. Even as I arrived this morning, guys were praying for me for this morning as I've preached. So encouraging, so uplifting, so strengthening. And we're in it together when we're connected to this spiritual house body of Christ. And so if you, if you have disconnected yourself, whether you've just dis- disengaged mentally, whether you're physically not present in a church community that loves and serves and follows Jesus, doesn't have to be this one, there's many in our town, I want to encourage you as a Christ follower, get slotted in. F- find your place in the wall, in that metaphorical wall of the house. And serve and bring spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Okay, verse 6. Uh, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion. That's another name for Jerusalem, by the way. Uh, That's the same place where we find modern-day Jerusalem. Uh, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. You see that again, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Peter's supporting his point here that he made previously by using an Old Testament Scripture. He was a Hebrew, and so the only Bible that existed then was what we now call the Old Testament, right? They didn't have the New Testament. They were busy writing it. And so he knew uh, the prophet Isaiah, and he quotes from the prophet Isaiah to back up his point that Christ is the cornerstone upon which this building, the spiritual house is being built, even today. And the beautiful thing there is that because Christ is God, this, this building will never fall. It will always stand firm because God is eternal. He lasts forever. And so if you are built into this house of God upon Christ, you are on a solid, sure foundation. If you remain in Him, that house will not fall. Ever. Ever. And so there's this sure, firm, secure foundation to be built on Christ with His people. 
And there's this wonderful promise at the end of those verses that says, if we do that, whoever believes in him, whoever follows Jesus, whoever said yes to Jesus, you are mine and I am yours. I surrender my life to you. Everything I have is yours. Thank you for making me new and putting me in right relationship with God. If you've done that, you will not be put to shame. That's a promise. You will not be put to shame. And what's Peter talking about here? There's a day coming when Jesus will return to this earth to judge the living and the dead. He'll separate out those who've loved and followed him and those who haven't. And those who've loved and followed him will not be put to shame. They will be honored, in fact. No matter what you've done, they will, you, we will, if you're a follower of Jesus, be honored in his presence. He'll say, welcome home, my chosen and precious children. We will not be put to shame. And this is the difference between every other faith and the Christian faith. It's an eternal hope. We are assured of the fact, we have absolute confidence that Christ is coming back. No matter what your circumstances are like right now, no matter what the rest of your life is like, it might be the suckiest, worst life ever, Christ is still coming back for you. It will not last forever. He will make all things new, restore and redeem all things, and bring wholeness and joy and fulfillment into your life forever when he returns. That's a wonderful hope that we have in Jesus. He will vindicate us as his children. And so no matter what you're facing, rejection, persecution, like these um, people were facing that Peter was writing to, whether you're facing whatever, illness, sickness, relational breakdown, whatever's happening, that will not last forever. If we stay in Christ, he will come back and take us home and vindicate us. And so this is Peter's strong encouragement from these verses, verses 4 through 6. Be built into him. Be connected to him. He is the cornerstone. He is the sure foundation. He will hold you firm forever if you'll cling to him. And he'll return one day to take you home to be with him forever. But that's not all Peter says, eh? <laughs> and so the question that begs as we go into verse 7 and 8 is, is Jesus your cornerstone? And our cornerstone, is he your cornerstone or is he your stumbling stone? From verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so these two verses are speaking directly to those who have rejected Christ, who've walked away from him, who haven't, as verse 4 said, who haven't come to him, but have actually walked away from him, stepped away from him. So if you find yourself in the room this morning not saying, yes, I have come to him, maybe subconsciously, unintentionally, or intentionally, you've chosen to walk away from Jesus. These verses are written for you. And so they say, verse 7 says, that these, re these verses are written for those who do not believe, or to those who do not believe. And what does he mean? What does Peter mean when he says those who do not believe? What do they not believe? We believe many things, right? Even subconsciously. <laughs> the laws of physics, we believe in these things because they work and they happen. We believe that we'll wake up in the morning. We believe many things. But this is talking about a deep-rooted um, 
at the core of our hearts kind of belief that really defines who we are and what we do. So what do they not believe? And uh, verse 8 tells us that it's the word that is not believed and obeyed that causes Jesus to become a stumbling stone instead of a cornerstone. So verse 8 says it's the word that is not believed. And when the word is not believed, that cornerstone is no longer a sure, aligning, unifying, strong kind of block of the building, but actually it's something you walk and you kick your toe and you fall over and you get hurt on. And that's just irritating and in the way and damaging to be around. It's not life-giving and uplifting and securing. Jesus actually goes on to say that it's not just a stumbling stone, but he says in Matthew uh, 21, Jesus says, anyone who falls, he's actually referencing the same scripture, Jesus, he says, anyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone who it falls on will be crushed. And so this is more than just a stumbling stone. It becomes a crushing stone. And so the encouragement from Peter here is to say that you don't have to stumble over Christ. You don't have to be crushed by the cornerstone that is Jesus, but rather you can be built upon him, built into him, secure and filled with him. If you'll just believe the word about him. What is that word? Well, in summary, it's this, that Jesus is God. That he is God, that he came to earth, that he lived an absolutely perfect life. That he died a sinner's death. He died as an innocent one. He died on the cross for the sake of everyone in the world. That he died, but he also rose from the dead. You know, you can really believe someone when they predict their resurrection and then they actually pull it off few days later like that's that's pretty impressive and he did so he was raised from the dead and then later he rose into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God right now actually praying for each of us whether we follow him or not he is still praying for us different prayers but he is still praying for us isn't that incredible even though you might not be a follower of Jesus he's praying for you he loves you and he desires that you would come to him and become one of his very own children And so Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God, he's made a way for us to come into right and everlasting life with Jesus. If you live in this town, in Stellenbosch, in and around this town, at some point uh, along your journey, you're definitely going to bump into followers of Jesus, people who love and know and follow Jesus. And at that point, most likely, many of them will tell you about Jesus in some way, shape, or form. And you're going to be confronted with the fact is, what do I do with this? Do I believe this? Do I seek and go and uh, try and find out more? If that's you, Alpha, great course to go and seek and find out more about who this God is, who Jesus is. Or do I actually, whether it's subconsciously or not, just say, not for me, move on, quite enjoying my life. Maybe I'm not even enjoying my life, but I can't deal with that right now. Either way, whether you live in this town, you're going to be confronted with that decision. Am I going to say yes to Jesus? to even just finding out more about him, 
Or am I just going to say no and carry on? And that's exactly who Peter is speaking to this morning through the Scripture. He's saying either he's your cornerstone or he's your stumbling stone. Those are the two options, nothing in between. And so this morning as you sit here, is Jesus your cornerstone? Are you sure that your life is built upon him? Or is he your stumbling stone? The one who in the end, if we do not come to him, will crush us. We'll be broken to pieces upon him, not because he doesn't love us. It's his love that caused him to come to earth and make a way for us to come into right relationship with him. It's as simple as just saying, come Jesus. I give you my life. I'm going to close with this uh, scripture from the book of Acts. Book of Acts is another book in the Bible of the library, and it's kind of a, it recounts the history of the early church. So Jesus just come to earth, he's risen from the dead, and there's a whole bunch of new Christians who just started following him, and it's kind of recounting some of their story. And Peter's one of those, by the way, the guy who wrote this letter we're just reading. He's one of those early Christ followers, and so it's so cool that we get to read his letter, but also read about how, what actually happened in his life, some of the narrative of his life. And so in this particular instance, uh, Peter and his friend John were on trial for their faith. People didn't like what they believed, wanted to lock them up or hurt them. And so they were on trial for their faith, and we're going to have a look at an incident in Acts chapter 4, verse 8 to 14. Have you got it there? Great. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, filled with the Holy Spirit, eh? Spiritual house. can be a place where God dwells. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if, you're being called to, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, okay, I have to reference others, spiritual act of service, right? Uh, sacrifice, rather, act of kindness. Shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, who has become the cornerstone. You can tell Peter liked the scripture. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, by which we must be made right with God again. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They had come to Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So I'm going to ask us to stand together this morning as we respond to what has been brought this morning in the singing time as well as through the Word of God in 1 Peter. And so the question that Peter has been asking us through the scriptures this morning is, is Christ your cornerstone? Because he is the cornerstone. Or is he a stumbling stone to you? Is he one 
whom you will continue to trip and fall over and in the end be crushed by. And Peter says that the invitation is open this morning. You don't have to choose, as the scripture says, you don't have to choose to disobey the word of God. You can choose to obey it and to believe what he has said about himself and to become one of his children. And so I'm going to ask us to respond this morning. And there's two particular groups of people. If you're a Christ follower, as verses 4 to 6 were speaking to us, I'd like us to respond to that. And I'm going to make a particular invitation in a moment. If you're not a Christ follower this morning, as the last two verses have spoken to you, perhaps God's just been tugging on your heart. And this morning's this morning where you can say yes to him, where you can come to him, maybe for the first time, be made right with him, and have your life built upon the cornerstone that is Christ. And so my invitation this morning to the first group of people, if you're a Christ follower, is this. As we go about our lives, as we go into this week, as we go into the rest of the year, I really sense Peter, the writer, inviting us to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit so that we can go and live lives and bring spiritual sacrifices with our lives to God day after day that are pleasing to Him and that truly satisfy us. And so the invitation this morning is to receive and welcome the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh this morning. So what I'm going to ask you to do is just standing (coughs) as you are. You can close your eyes if you want. Would you just uh, open your hands in a posture of receiving? It's just a way of us kind of having our hands open. We're vulnerable and we're open and we're ready for God to move. And I'm going to pray for us that the Holy Spirit would fill us afresh. So we do. We pray right now. Come Holy Spirit and move among us. We open our lives. We open our hearts. We open our minds to you. Holy Spirit, thank you that we are a spiritual house built up upon Christ Jesus. We are a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices with our lives to you that are pleasing, acts of kindness, acts of love, worship and praise and singing to you. Every moment and every action we do with our bodies is to you. Holy Spirit, fill us anew and afresh that we would please you Every moment, every day, you're welcome here, Holy Spirit. As I mentioned earlier, if you feel like you have kind of disconnected yourself as a Christ follower from the local church community, if you feel like you've kind of stepped away, disengaged mentally or even physically, Here's a moment for you to re-engage. And so if that's you, you don't have to stick your hand up. I want to pray for you. Just be ready for God to come and move in your heart. Come Holy Spirit, would you come and meet with each individual who knows in their heads and hearts that they've disengaged from local church community, that they are not invested, they're not participants, they're not holy priests in this household, bringing praise and honor to you and serving alongside and connected into the family Lord, would you come and draw them back? Draw them home. If that's you, just say, Lord, I want to be connected to you again. 
and connected into your local community in a vitalizing, life-giving, participatory kind of way. And just repent for drifting away, for being distracted, for giving in to the lies of the enemy. And just say, I'm back, Lord. Would you help me, Holy Spirit, to be so interwoven and connected into your church community in Jesus' name. And if you're not a Christ follower this morning, my second invitation, I believe Peter's invitation to you this morning, he says this, that salvation is found in no one else. In other words, rescue, eternal security, being made right with God. Another way to explain salvation, being rescued from our current situation and being put into a new situation, which is eternal life, life with God. Only Jesus can do this. He's the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're in a position this morning where you say, actually, I want to come to Jesus. I don't even know what that looks like, sounds like, feels like, but all I know is I want to come. I want to make an invitation to you this morning. Would you raise your hand? I'd love to just see you on and then be able to pray along with you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front just to raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you this morning if you want to come to Jesus, maybe for the first time, and be made right with him. Anybody who wants to come to Jesus this morning. I thank you, Jesus, for this invitation that you give to every one of us whether we're far from you or close to you, to come to you day after day and you meet with us and you dwell with us and you inspire and you fill us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray for each person in the room this morning, Father, who has encountered you, who has heard from you in some way. Father, would you give them strength and grace and power to really take that word seriously and to act upon how you, Father, have led or prompted this morning. Thank you that your word is alive. That you have spoken to us clearly this morning. We praise you, Jesus.